This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. There's an order of scripture down at the bottom on this chart, or excuse me, over on the right edge. We'll follow that order, and inside these scriptures are typed out for you. You can look inside, and there's a place there on one sheet for notes. Also, the scriptures are typed out inside as well as on the back side, and so if you prefer to look them up in a Bible, you do that. But if you would like to just read them off the sheet, I tried to enlarge the font where it would be friendly to the eyes, and I hope that you can see it. I've been requested to speak on this subject today. I think it's good to address this from time to time, and I believe it's something that our young people really need. Our children need this. They need to hear it as they grow up, and they need to hear it often. And so we will study today authority and religion. I'll introduce that on the inside there with you with Matthew 21 and verse 23 to 27. Matthew 21, verse 23 to 27. Matthew says of Christ, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, which was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you, but what authority I do these things. As I said, we're speaking on authority and religion. Authority, simply defined, is legal or rightful power, dominion, the right to rule or command. Let me say that again. Authority is legal or rightful power. The right to rule or to command. In our lives, I'm sure we all recognize to some extent the importance of authority. You know, we, we operate on authority in this country. In our homes, in our schools, in our government, in our military. We have, we have, uh, we, we call this a, Democracy, it's really not. It's a representative republic. America's a representative republic. That is, we elect or we appoint individuals to be over us, and we give them authority. And they have authority to enact laws and to see that laws are enforced. Sometimes they don't get it right, but they're the authority. And so in most cases, we're submissive to them, where they do not contradict God's laws. We have laws, for example, that regulate traffic speed and direction. When you or I are out on the streets and highways of our country, and we come to a red light at an intersection, we stop, don't we, because we respect authority. And we get upset if people just drive right on through that intersection because they're not respecting authority. They are a threat to property. They are a threat to the lives of other people. And so that upsets us greatly because we respect authority. And you know, we, we see the need for authority all, all in our lives. You see the need for authority in the home. One reason we have children today that are so unruly, children that are having problems, 
is authority is not maintained in the home and respected like it ought to be, and that causes problems. There's always confusion and anarchy where we don't respect authority. You cannot run a school system and an educational system without respect for authority. You can't create an environment where kids can learn if there's not respect for authority and if it's not maintained. There is no government without respect for authority, whether it's city or county or state or federal. Somebody has to have authority over us. You cannot run a military without authority. We know that a military could not function without a chain of command and without respect for authority. And if you've got a military in disarray, you've got a country not defended. And so it has to, it has to depend upon authority and the respect of it. But suddenly, when we come over into the matter of religion, there are just a lot of people who don't think authority is all that important. And we often hear people say today, it doesn't matter what you believe or practice in religion as long as you're sincere. Or how about this slogan? You sometimes see it on bumper stickers. Join the church of your choice. As if you and I have a choice and God doesn't. You see, none of those things make sense. And what's the result of all this kind of thinking? Division. You can go into any little town or community, any city across this land, and what do you see? Dozens and dozens of churches wearing different names, teaching different doctrines, worshiping different ways, requiring differing plans of salvation, woefully divided from each other, with no fellowship. And everybody expects to go to heaven out of those groups, and then they're all going to be together and everything's going to be fine. How did that happen? They can't get along on earth, but they're going to get along in heaven. Makes no sense, does it? We've just got division everywhere. It reminds me of the situation in Judges 21-25 there on the inside. Judges 21-25 when the judges ruled Israel. The Bible says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now we read that scripture and we say, what, what was Israel thinking here? Didn't Moses lead them to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law and God placed himself in authority over those people. They were his people. Why weren't they respecting God's authority? Why were they doing what's right in their own eyes? It's the same thing today. As long as people say that it doesn't matter what you believe or practice in religion, as long as you're sincere, that's another way of saying do what's right in your own eyes. And what's the result of this? Division. And God hates it. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 there. Paul said, We beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We are commanded to speak the same thing and to have no divisions among us. And in order to do that, we have to respect a common authority, and that's one problem in religion. Because you see, different groups, different churches, different denominations have their own creed books and manuals and disciplines and catechisms. And so if you're talking to the Methodist, he's got a Methodist discipline. That might be fine for a Methodist, but a Presbyterian's not going to respect that because he's got a common book of prayer that he follows, and the Methodists won't follow it. So they're divided. They don't have the same authority. The Catholics have a catechism. So a, a Methodist is not going to follow a Catholic catechism. 
He's got a different book. He's got a Methodist discipline. And I grew up in that church a little bit and know a little bit about it. As long as people have different sources of authority, we can't have unity. Go out to Salt Lake and the Mormons have a Book of Mormon. And you can't, uh, you can't be a Mormon without following that, but a, but a Presbyterian's not going to follow that book. So they're divided. See the problem? All of these books are just causing division and problems. We need a common source of authority that all of us can agree upon and respect that's going to bring us all together in unity and give us peace and harmony. Make us one. Help us fulfill what Paul said when he said, speak the same thing and have no divisions among you. That's what we need, that kind of unity. And I want to talk to you this morning about that source of authority that all of us can agree upon, that if we will follow, will bring us all together, make us of one mind and judgment, and give us the unity that we desire and the acceptance with God, more importantly. Now back in the opening scripture in Matthew 21, Jesus recognized only two general sources of authority in religion. He was teaching in the temple and his enemies there heard him and they weren't interested in the authority by which he spoke. They were simply trying to trick him. So they asked him, By what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? So Jesus said, I'm going to ask you one thing. And if you'll tell me, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. It was a simple question. Christ said, the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Now that was simple, wasn't it? But it wasn't simple to the Pharisees because they didn't want to answer that question. It was loaded to them. Because if they said John's baptism was from heaven, then Jesus was going to say to them, why didn't you believe John? Why weren't you baptized? Because they had rejected John's baptism. And we should never reject something that comes from heaven. On the other hand, they say, if we say John's baptism came from men, originated by man, then we fear these people out here because they believe John was a prophet. And so they didn't want to make the crowd angry at them because the crowd believed very strongly that John the Baptist came from God and was a prophet of God and spoke the will of God and baptized by the authority of God and they had rejected that. So they didn't want to say it originated from men but they didn't want to say it was from heaven either so they, they told Christ we cannot tell. And he told them neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. If they were going to be dishonest he wouldn't tell because they didn't care where his authority was. His authority, by the way, came from the same place John's baptism did, from heaven. In John 1 and verse 6 there on the inside, the Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who sent John the Baptist out? God did. In Luke 7, verse 29 and 30, the Bible says, And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. Those then that submitted to John's baptism are said to justify God, that is, declare God righteous. And those that rejected it are said to have rejected the counsel of God against themselves. John's baptism was from heaven. But beloved, let's suppose it had to be. And what's the only other source Jesus gave? 
He said the baptism of John, which was it, from heaven or of men? Heaven or men? Now you know that'll be true of everything you can think of in religion. Everything that we believe and practice and teach is either from heaven or of men. I want to ask some questions for just for you to consider, not to answer, but to answer for yourself. The church that you're a member of, is it from heaven or of men? The doctrines that you believe and teach and, and practice, are they from heaven or of men? The worship that you offer God, is that from heaven or of men? The plan of salvation you've obeyed, is that from heaven or of men? You see, everything in religion is from heaven or men. Every single doctrine, every one of them. Now the question arises then, we certainly want to follow heaven. How do we know when something's from heaven? We're going to have to know that, aren't we, to know whether we're following heaven or not. How do we know when something is from heaven? All right, let's talk about that a minute. Number one, it'll originate with God. Anything from heaven comes from God, first and foremost. We read there in, in James 1, verse 17 and 18, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then everything originates with God, and God's the source of all truth. James said of his own will he begat us with the word of truth. It was God's will. He's the author of truth. Everything starts with God. And this God has spoken to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. God then spake, notice now at verse 1, God at, at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So had you, you and I lived back in the Old Testament age and we wanted heaven's authority for what we did, God would have spoken back then by the prophets. And so if we were alive, for example, in the time of Moses, if we heard Moses, we would be hearing God because God spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Or in the days of Isaiah, had we listened to Isaiah, that would have been God speaking. The same if he were standing there. Because these prophets didn't originate their message. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God chose holy men and revealed unto them His Word. And when they spoke or wrote that Word, that was God speaking. The same as if you were standing there in the presence of God. Because God spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So if we were Old Testament people, we would have listened to the, to, the, to the prophets and if we'd followed them, we would have heaven's authority for whatever we did. And if we rejected them, we would be following men because that's how God spoke. 
God's very particular about His Word. I want you to notice on the front side underneath the cross some warnings from God about, about His Word. God's very particular about this Word. I'm, a, I'm amazed today that so many people are so loose and casual about what the Bible says. I know so many people who think they can change what the Bible says. They look for ways around plain statements. I don't understand that kind of thinking. Why would I want to try to get around what the Bible says? In Deuteronomy 4 verse 2, when God gave the law to Moses, He said to them, You shall not add unto the things which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So Moses said, don't add anything to this word, don't take away anything from it. Now I want you to think about that in view of what's, what's happening in religion today. Because you can go to denomination A and it'll teach one thing and go over here to this church and it teaches just the opposite. Both claim to be teaching God's word. God doesn't contradict himself like this. Somebody's adding to the word. Somebody's taking from the word. Or they'd be speaking alike, wouldn't they? And it would fit the Bible. It's just, just common sense. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. The Bible says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, almost the end of the New Testament, John says, I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. John warns us about four or five verses from the end of the Bible. Do not add to this word or do not take away from it. That's the last warning in Scripture. The very last warning given was don't change this word in any way. Now think about religion today. Think about what's going on. Think about the differences in all this doctrine we're hearing. Somebody's tampering with God's Word. That's dangerous because that's heaven speaking. Now, we read there in Hebrews 1 a moment ago that God spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but we're not living in time past. We're living now. And that writer said in verse 2, in these last days, he had spoken unto us by his Son. How does God speak today? He speaks through Christ. If we want heaven's authority for what we do, God's speaking in these last days to us. The Bible says by his Son, Jesus Christ. That fits exactly what Jesus taught. Let's notice in Matthew 28 and verse 18, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, the Bible says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, that is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Who gave him that authority? His Father did. All power, all authority, that's what that word power means, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In John 12, 48, 49, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. Now watch verse 49. Christ said, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me 
He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. Everything Jesus said when he was here on earth was given to him by his Father. Not a word was spoken that God was not the author of. Not a word but Christ. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, those are the words of his Father. When you read any of the teaching, how about the, the discourse in Matthew 24? That's the Father. How about the Lord's parables, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, came from the Father? Christ tells us there in verse 49, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Now, I can wrap my mind around that, can't you? Because if God gave those words to Jesus, I can trust them. And God in this last day speaks unto us by His Son. In Acts 3, in verse 22, 23, Peter warns us it's fatal not to hear Jesus. You see, Moses talked about Christ in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Peter quotes from him in this passage. Moses pointed out to Israel, there's going to come a day that God's going to raise you up a prophet, and he's going to be like me. And you're to hear him in all things, and if you don't hear him, you'll be destroyed. And so Peter quotes that now to these Jews here in Acts 3. Verse 22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he hath said unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. If we don't hear Jesus, we'll be destroyed. That's what Peter's telling us here. That's what Moses wrote, and Peter quotes it to the Jews. The problem is, friends, Jesus is not here on earth. We know the Father gave him the words he spoke, but where are they? He's not here. Where are the words? Well, by inspiration of the Spirit, he gave them to his apostles and prophets there in the first century. He passed them down. Left them to other people where we would have access to them. In, in John 14, 26, this is the night before Christ died. He's meeting with his apostles. They're, they're taking the Passover. And then he institutes the Lord's Supper. And Christ gave them some very sad news. He said, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. I've got to go. But I'm going to send a comforter to you, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be with you. And I'll go away, but don't worry. I'll send him. And then in verse 26... He tells the apostles, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Now friends, think of that a minute. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is going to come and he'll, he'll enable you to remember everything I ever said. How many of you remember the lesson from last Sunday? Every word of it. I don't know who spoke here last Sunday. David, did you speak? I bet David couldn't repeat every word. And he, he gave the lesson. We just can't remember, can we? Well, they had that same problem with Christ. They heard him teach everywhere. Can you imagine the lessons they heard from Christ? They heard him on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. They heard him in the bowels of ships. They heard him in synagogues. They heard him at the temple. As they walked along the roads of Palestine together, traveling and preaching, they heard Jesus. When they stopped in a city, 
They heard his sermon. They heard dozens and dozens, scores of sermons, if you will. How were they going to remember all this information? Christ said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. He will cause you to remember everything ever taught you. Now they needed that ability for us. Where that knowledge, that, that word that he spoke that he got from his father could be passed down to us. But you know what? He never gave them everything that he wanted to. You know why? They weren't ready. <laughs> they just couldn't. They couldn't handle it. I doubt if John could have handled the book of Revelation when Jesus was here on earth. It, was, it shocked him as it was. Years later, when the Revelation letter was given, and John saw all these powerful visions of seven-headed beast and harlots riding that beast and all kinds of different things in that book that he revealed, it just blew his mind. He would, he would not have been ready in Christ's day. Jesus understood that. Look at John 16, 12, and 13. Christ said, I have yet many things to say unto you. Now notice that. I have yet many things to say unto you. This is the night before he died. But he said, ye cannot bear them now. Albeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Jesus said, I've got a lot, of, a lot of things to say to you. You're not ready for them. I understand that. But he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to guide you into all truth. Now, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's a, that's a record of the life story of Jesus. It tells us of his birth, his life, miracles, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and his coronation in heaven. But then we come to the book of Acts. And we've got all the way through Revelation. And this is what Jesus didn't teach them. When he said, I have yet, this is the book of Psalms in mind, so don't pay attention to that part. This much right here. Here's the story of Christ. I have yet many things to say unto you, he said, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, that is, on his own. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So now we have the rest of the New Testament. See, that word that Christ wasn't able to give them, ultimately he was. And piece by piece, the New Testament began to be put together. Inspiration was given to the apostles and the prophets there. And they began to write that down for us. In Matthew 10 and verse 40, Jesus tells the apostles, He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. I often hear people say, well, you know, I, I like the things in the New Testament that are red letter. Those are the, and we have these red letter editions because those are the words that Jesus spoke while he was here on earth. And suddenly some people have the idea, well, what's in red's important because the Lord said that while he was here. But these old black words, they don't mean a whole lot. And they're so wrong on that. These, these black letter words are very important. They're just as important as the red letter because it all came from God. 
and it's all the words of Christ. And when we receive the writings of the apostles, we're receiving Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we're receiving the Father. Look at that statement again in Matthew 10, 40. He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. You know, the opposite of that is true. He that rejects these apostles rejects Christ, and whoever rejects Christ rejects the Father. Works that way too. Well, somebody said that's wonderful. We know Jesus then gave the word his Father gave him. He gave that to the apostles and prophets. Now where is it? We don't have apostles and prophets. Where's the word? And they wrote it down, didn't they? And that's that book we've been talking about. It's called the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, Paul talked about it this way. He was in prison at Rome. 61 to 63 A.D. He wrote this. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul said that by revelation Christ made known to him the mystery. He said, I wrote that. And when, he, when you read, he said, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Because in other ages, this wasn't revealed to the sons of men, as it's now revealed, notice, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So then these apostles and prophets received that word that the Father gave Christ, and they wrote it down. And Paul said, when you read it, you can understand my knowledge. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 Paul said, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So you see, whatever's written, these black letters we talked about, these are the commandments of the Lord still. They may not be in red letter because he didn't speak them while here on earth, but they're nonetheless his word given to these apostles and prophets who wrote it down. And in Jude verse 3, when this New Testament faith was completed, Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So Jude's telling us you, you contend for this faith right here. Now, he didn't tell us to be contentious. He didn't say be obnoxious. He, said, he didn't say be a know-it-all, a smart aleck. He didn't say that at all. You can contend without being contentious. You can't. We're to have the right spirit as we stand up for the Word of God, but stand up for the Word of God we're called on to do and to defend the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. God says, stand up for this word. You see, this New Testament we have here contains the authority of heaven. Now, if we want heaven's authority for what we do, it's right here in these pages. 
And if everybody will agree to that, you know what we'll have? Unity. Peace and harmony. We'll speak the same thing, won't we? If everybody says, I'm going to go to the book and see what it says, and I'm going to speak that. Speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it's silent. And we can have unity that way. If we get people to throw these religious books away and agree on this book, we'll have unity. But it won't happen until they hold on, as long as they hold on to the creed books, the manuals and the disciplines and the catechisms. Because they're not inspired, they were not given by Christ, they were not written down by, under inspiration by the apostles, they are the writings of men. And they bring division because they differ. Men cannot agree, but God never contradicts himself. Now this would end the discussion this morning if we wanted to stop here, but, but it's, uh, unfortunately it's not what men do because we got a lot of division today and it didn't come from this book. This book brings unity. Where's it coming from? It's of men, human sources of authority. That's what's clouding religion today. That's what's causing problems. That's what brings error and confusion. Let's look at some of these sources. First of all, there's some people in their religion, when you ask them, well, why do you believe this way? Why do you go to church where you do? They'll say, well, that's what my parents did. Or that's what my forefathers, my family's always done this. If it's good enough for the, for the family, it's good enough for me. Now that may sound good, but everybody's got a family. <laughs> if we all follow our family, we're going to wind up differently, aren't we? Because families think differently. Parents think differently. Parents teach kids differently. Whose parents are an absolute infallible source of authority? Anybody's? You know, when I got up about 21, I found out my parents were wrong about a lot of things. They'd taught me wrong. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. They meant well, but they were wrong. Because when I read the New Testament scriptures, it contradicted mother and dad. And I found out very quickly they weren't a good source of authority for me. Not in religion. Because they weren't infallible. They did the best they could, maybe, but they weren't infallible. And no set of parents are, no matter how well-meaning they are. They're just not. They're not the final word in religion. You know, Paul followed his forefathers in religion and wound up tearing the church up. In Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul said, For you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine own equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. There it is. Paul said, I was zealous of the tradition of my fathers. What would you do, Paul? I tore the church up. You see, Jesus demands that we love him more than parents, that we love him more than family. Your family, I'm sorry, your family can be wrong in religion. My family can be wrong. They're just not infallible. In Matthew Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother, 
and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Christ said you've got to love me more than your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your mother-in-law, your daughter-in-law, anyone else. And the Lord wanted families united. He wanted, he wanted peace, not division. But he knew that he would separate even families. Even the closest of human ties would be separated over him if they tried to follow him. You know, when you follow Christ, sometimes it'll just separate you from the family. It just will, because they're not going to follow Christ. And then you've got to make that decision. Do I stay in this place with my family or do I get up and leave? I got up and left. Best thing I ever did. Many of you have gotten up and left because you knew it was the right thing to do. You followed Christ. God bless you for that. That's what we've got to do. Listen, no parent is a source of authority in religion unless... They're teaching what's in this New Testament because this New Testament, you see, came from the apostles and prophets who got it from Christ, who got it from His Father. This is heaven speaking. Okay? Ask other people, well, why? Why do you believe what you do? Some say, well, I just follow my conscience. I just let my conscience be my guide. You know, that's good, I guess. Keep a good conscience. The Bible talks about a good conscience. Need to have a good conscience. What is a conscience? Conscience is part of our mind. It's an alarm system that we're given. And what it does is it issues warnings to us. When we, when we say or do what we believe is wrong, the conscience will condemn us. It'll speak to us, you're wrong there. You're doing wrong. And when we speak and say what we think is right, our conscience will, so to speak, pat us on the back. It'll say, good job. You did well. That's what it's designed to do. The problem with the conscience is, it's got to be educated itself. It's got to be taught. You see, it's not an authority on its own. It has to be trained. It's got to be educated. Paul followed his conscience and tore the church up. We read in... Uh, Acts 23 and verse 1. Then Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Paul said, I lived in good conscience. What would you do, Paul? I tore the church up and killed Christians. That's what he did. And his conscience didn't bother him at all because that's what he was taught. That's what he was trained. That's how his conscience was trained. We read here again in Acts 26 and verse 9. Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he'll go on to say, which thing also I did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints did I shut up in prison. And he talked about what he did to them. How he compelled them to, be blasph to blaspheme Christ. He was just following the conscience. But you see, friends, listen. Your conscience is no better than how it's educated. I've said for years that a conscience is like a watch. 
Now this is not a great dime piece here, don't get me wrong. It, it looks kind of pretty, but I've had a lot better watches from Walmart than I have this. Not very accurate, but let's suppose it is. If this was the world's greatest timepiece and never lost a second, that's fine, but it's got to be set. And if you set a watch by the wrong standard, for example, when daylight savings and all, when time changes in the fall and spring, if I just leave that watch alone and don't make a change in it, it'll always be wrong, at least for a year. <laughs> it'll be wrong because it's set by the wrong standard. That's the way the conscience is. It's got to be set by the right standard. And what's that? That's our New Testament, see. So if I train my mind right here, then when I say or do something and it's in accordance with this, I'm going to get commended by the conscience. Or I'll get rebuked by it, depending upon whether I obey this or not. It's got to be educated right here. This is the authority here. And then it will function. Number three, some say, well, in religion, uh, I don't know, I'll ask my preacher. Boy, they do, don't they? I'm going to tell you as a preacher, preachers have caused more trouble in religion than anybody else. They've caused more division. They do. By not carefully preaching the Word of God, by being careless with it, by being closed-minded themselves, by not understanding the Bible, they cause a lot of problems. And listen, preachers, and that includes this preacher, everybody ought to be checked. There's no preacher above being examined by people. Whatever I say, I want you to check it. I want you to prove it. If I don't give you the truth, reject it. That's how it ought to be. You don't owe me allegiance. I'm not infallible. No man is. We're warned here in, in Scripture in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. John said there's a lot of false prophets out there. Try these spirits, whether they're of God. He meant prove them by God's Word. 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him say what this book says. And we need to check that man. And any preacher that gets upset if you check what he believes... You, need to, you just need to leave him alone. Because if he thinks he's above being examined by somebody, he's the wrong man to be following and listening to. Everybody should be examined. One final thing I want to mention. When we think about sources of, and incidentally this conscience needs to be set by the New Testament and preachers need to preach this book and then we can listen. But there's another, another matter of, of following men that I want to spend a little bit of time on, and that's feelings. And in religion, feelings are more prevalent than anywhere else. It's emotional. People want to feel good. See, A lot of them want to go to a church where they feel good, where they get a good feeling, as if feelings are safe to follow. They're not. Everybody's got feelings, but you see, feelings are kind of like ocean tides. They ebb and flow. Sometimes we're feeling pretty good. We're up on top of the mountain. Life's good. 
and we're ready to shout hallelujah, <laughs> then the bottom falls out and we have problems. And the feelings all of a sudden change. We're no longer happy. We're sad. What's caused that? What causes these feelings to come and go and ebb and flow like this? Answer what we believe. And I want to illustrate that with a Bible story. Now stay with me because this is useful to you. Remember the story of Joseph? How Jacob loved him more than the other sons and made him this coat of many colors. And Joseph had dreams that his family would bow down to him one day. His brothers hated him. So one day they were keeping sheep distant from the house and Jacob was worried about them and he sent Joseph to check on them. They saw him coming and they said, here comes that dreamer, let's get rid of him. And they were going to kill him, but one of the brothers had a, uh, well, had, a, had a better idea, thankfully. Let's sell him. There's a caravan of Midianites passing through here, they, they learn, and so they sold Joseph into slavery. Now these Midianites were going down into Egypt. They were out of the east. And there were caravan routes that came across Palestine there. And these, uh, these people from the east were, like the Midianites, were, were just, uh, they were inclined to pick up anything along the way they could sell, let's put it that way, and a lot of it was human trafficking. They bought slaves. Joseph was sold into slavery. They carried him down to Egypt. He was just a lad. He might have been a late teenager. Here he is going to a strange country and his brothers took his coat off of him, ripped it. They killed a goat out of the flock, a kid, and they put that goat blood on his coat and they tore it and they took it back to Jacob and they said, Father, we found this coat. Is this your son's? You know what Jacob said? He said, it is my son's coat. Joseph is dead. A wild beast has devoured him. Now let's look at this. How come he believes that Joseph is dead? He believes that. Why does he believe it? He saw a bloody coat and so that, that produced this belief that he was dead and what did that produce? Sorrow. Now here's his feelings right here. What caused his feelings? What he believed. What does he believe? Believes his son's dead. Why does he believe it? The bloody torn coat. His feelings were produced by what he believed, by his faith. Your feelings are produced by what you believe. If you believe wrong, your feelings are still produced. You can believe a lie and get the same feelings as if it were the truth, as long as you believe it's the truth. And that's what Jacob's done right here. Is his boy dead? No. Well, what's he doing mourning here? Because <laughs> he believes he's dead, see? And this produced his feelings. And he can't trust these feelings because they're false, aren't they? The boy's not dead, see? You understand that? You can't go by feelings in religion. Now, some 20 years later, perhaps, remember, Joseph has been lifted up finally out of prison in Egypt. He's been made governor. And he predicted a famine would come there in Egypt. He told, uh, he told Pharaoh, look, we're going to have seven years of plenty. You store up all the grain you can, and we're going to have a drought following that of seven years. You're going to have grain here in Egypt. And so they did that in Egypt. Egypt had grain. All the other countries around were just 
being killed by this great drought. Jacob heard there was corn down in Egypt. Now he believed Joseph's long dead. So he sends some of his sons down there to Egypt to buy grain. The problem was you had to buy it off Joseph. He recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. Likely he was dressed in Egyptian garb. And of course he was a strapping lad when they sold him and now he's a man. And they just didn't recognize him. But he, he revealed himself to them ultimately and he sent wagons. <clears throat> he sent wagons back up here to Canaan. He said, I want you to move your families down here. I'm going to take care of you. God meant this for good. When you sold me down here, God was protecting you in the future. He was setting things up for your protection. So you go back home and you tell your father that I'm alive. And you get these wagons and you load the family up. Well, they went back and they told their dad, Joseph is alive. Hey, he's governor over Egypt. The Bible says Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. Just the very mention of this boy just brought back all this sorrow to him. But the Bible says that when he saw the wagons, he said, it is enough. He believed then. He said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And now he's just filled with joy. Look at his feelings. Why have they changed from sorrow to joy? Because of what he believes. And what does he believe? Now he believes the boy is alive, not dead. And why does he believe this? Because of the wagons. And so now you see the feelings have shifted. They're where they ought to be. The boy is alive. But you see these feelings are produced by what we believe. They always are. And you can believe sad news and it will produce sorrow. You can believe happy news and it will produce joy. Somebody could call you and say a family member of yours has just been in a car accident. And if you believe that report, you're going to be sad. It's because of what you believe. But what if it's a, what if it's a false report? What if you get another call in five minutes? They say, we're sorry, we made a mistake. It wasn't your loved one. It was somebody else. And you believe that, your feelings are going to change. You see, they change by what we believe. And that's why people in religion... That's why you can't trust how you feel. It's good to be enthusiastic about your religion. It's good to have emotion. It's good to have joy. The Bible talks about rejoicing. But it's got to be based upon the truth. And a lot of people that are happy that they're saved are really not saved. Because they haven't done what the New Testament says. They believe they are because that's what was told them by some preacher. That's why everything's got to be checked right here. And that's why this study today is so critical. We have got to believe the truth. And we've got to have the source of it and it's right here. Don't be afraid to change things. Don't be afraid to say, I've been wrong. Because everybody here has been wrong. That's, that's our problem. We're all, we're all wrong. We need help. God saves sinners. He don't save victims of circumstance. And we just got to come clean and say, I'm a sinner and I need help. I've just been wrong. If we'll have that kind of attitude, we'll find the truth.
I'll leave you with 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 to 12. It's on the front side in a box on the left corner. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 12. Paul said, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if we don't love the truth, we will believe lies. And my message to you this morning is love the truth. Be people of this book. Stand up for this book. Follow this book. This church right here will always have unity if we follow this book. It always will. And anyone around us that will follow this book, we'll have unity with them. And it's the only way we'll have it. It's the only way you can is to have the same source of authority in religion and recognize it as infallible. And that's what this book is. The Word of God Himself. So when you sit at home and you open this book, that's the same as if God's standing there talking to you. That's the kind of authority this book has. To follow it, you're following heaven, and to reject it, you're following men. God bless you. If you need to come forward this morning for baptism or if you need to come forward for prayer of any kind, if we can help you in some way with your religion, if you want to study, we will set up a study with you. There are several of us that study in homes. We'll be glad to study with you wherever you want to study, wherever you're comfortable. We can meet you at a restaurant. We can meet you right here. We can meet you in your home. We'll find a place where you're comfortable and where it's a good atmosphere in which you can learn and ask questions. We want you to ask questions too, by the way. You know, if we can't answer your question, that's our problem, not yours for asking. That's our problem. So don't be afraid to ask anything. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too insignificant if it's a question. So we offer this invitation song, not to have another song, but to give you an opportunity to respond today. And if you need to come forward today, well, come and sit in one of the front pews here, if you will, front, front seats, while we rise and sing this song. Would you come? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.